Hey, 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 how's it going out there, my mushroom lovers? Oliver Carlin here, and I'm the Mushroom Man. I'm about to jump into a podcast with Gary Hefferl, who's the founder with his wife of a company called Fresh From The Farm Fungi. And his background started out more with genetics and tissue samples, working in a lab, primarily in the cannabis space. However, he's transitioned about five years ago over into growing mushrooms for the farmer's markets where he's grown over 20,000 pounds of mushrooms in the local Denver area for that for those markets. But he also has a book and a YouTube channel where he's helped over 2 million people learn how to start their own mushroom growing farm so that they can be successful doing these things as well. So if you're interested in that, let's jump into the podcast right now and let's see what Gary's up to. So the big question is this. With over 10,000 different species of mushrooms, how do people that want to benefit from their various medicinal properties accurately identify them in the wild, grow them at home, or make them taste delicious without having to read confusing medical reports and possibly eating a poisonous look-alike by mistake? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Oliver Carlin, and welcome to Curative Mushrooms. So Gary, thanks for joining me on the Cured Mushrooms podcast today. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, you're the founder. Is it you and your wife? Yeah. Your wife? Yeah, your wife. Uh, yeah, you my- and your wife are the founder of uh, Fresh from the Farm Fungi? Yep, that is correct. So we started our company back in June of 2018. Mm. Um, And prior to that, I have grown mushrooms maybe three or four years before, just experimentally um, in our garden. And my background is in medical technology. So I guess I can rewind even farther. Um, So back in college, I took a lot of clinical microbiology and uh, clinical laboratory classes. So I was working in a blood bank in Buffalo, New York. And um, I did that for a little bit. And after I graduated college, my wife and I, we took a road trip all across the country in our Jeep Wrangler. And we ended up um, camping out in Glenwood Springs here in Colorado for a few nights. And we really fell in love with the area. So after um, a lot of searching for a job out here, we really lucked out and I ended up working for a stem cell lab in Centennial. It's called Allosource. And then my wife, uh, she was working at Geico at the time. So they helped her transfer out to Colorado. And that's kind of where we started our journey here in the Denver area. Um, So as I was working in a stem cell lab, and I also did a plant tissue culture um, in the in the cannabis industry for a few years, and then I evolved into working with the CDPHE in uh, cannabis product testing. So we were kind of like gatekeepers before products were released to the market. Over those um, maybe like five or six years, I collected a bunch of laboratory equipment and uh, I at, on the side of doing this I also 
do a lot of uh, home renovation. So we flipped a couple houses. We uh, had a property in Aurora, and I started a, a basement um, laboratory there. So I was doing plant tissue culture, and that's kind of where I started my my journey with mushroom cultivation. We had a pretty nice garden in the backyard, and um, one summer I just tried to grow some mushrooms. So I ordered these little packets off of Amazon and it was like maybe like 16 oat kernels that came in this little baggie and I had no idea what I was doing but I just followed the instructions so it said to plant this dried out spawn into a tote of potting soil and I waited for probably about four or five weeks um, for something to happen and I would like mist it with a, like a little water bottle and I got really excited one day when I started to see like uh, some some white fuzz start to form. And then lo and behold, like three days later, it all got infested with trichoderma. So that was my first ever mushroom grow. It was just uh, a bunch of trike in a little bin from these like little tiny packets from Amazon. And uh, that led me down the rabbit hole of learning how to grow mushrooms so at the time i just scoured like the shroomery um that was like the best resource and then i also read um all of paul stamitz's books which they they were really helpful um so eventually um my wife and i we moved from the aurora house and we sold that property and bought two more properties and we moved into this house in denver and during this whole time, um, we we lived in the basement of that house for about six months while I fixed the upstairs. And then once um, the upstairs was completed, we moved upstairs and we had this huge like it was like 1600 square foot basement that was empty. So I decided at that time that I was going to turn it into a mycology lab and a grow. And just for my own hobby, um, I started growing oyster mushrooms and lion's mane. Uh, we found uh, a grow kit on Craigslist. So um, I found my wife, actually, she found it. It was like this abandoned little kit that someone's like, I tried to grow mushrooms and I don't want to waste this. It's out on my porch. So as soon as we saw that, I drove there and grabbed this block of uh, brown oyster mushrooms. And I put it in this little hydroponic tent. And about four or five days later, I got some pins. And that was my first successful uh, mushroom grow. It was like this little, you know, five pound block that produced these giant flushes of brown oysters. So I got really excited. Um, and I bought a bunch of genetics off the internet and started experimenting. And uh, a couple months later, um, I picked up a flow hood. And I had an incubator and like a bunch of uh, lab benches set up and I saved up my money um, and decided to leave the corporate job and start my own mushroom farm. And there's, I guess, a little bit more along the way. So at first I was growing so many mushrooms that my wife and I, we just couldn't eat them all. So I started giving them to friends and family. And they really had, you know, a positive response. So I was like, all right, well, maybe they actually are good. Because, like, I I didn't know. I was just eating my own mushrooms that I was growing, which there's, like, a lot of connection there. 
Um, mm-hmm. So then after a couple weeks, we had like a whole fridge filled with, with all these different mushrooms. And I posted an ad on Craigslist. And um, that was probably in like May or April of 2018. Um I posted an ad about lion's mane mushrooms and I don't think any, like many people did not know what lion's mane were, but there was this guy that rode his bike from Lakewood to Denver and he showed up at my house and bought like this whole big bag filled with lion's mane. And that was kind of the moment where it clicked um, that there was a market for these mushrooms. And I'll never forget that day. Um, He like reached into the bag of mushrooms and pulled this one out and just ate it like an apple. And I was like, oh, you're probably supposed to cook these. But um, that was like a a pivotal moment in my mushroom growing career and just the experience. And after that, um, maybe like it was like a week or 10 days later, I got a call from this woman, uh, Christina Welsh, and she was starting a grocery store cooperative in Wheat Ridge. And she's like, I saw the ad on Craigslist and we would like to have like a local mushroom farmer. So um, I started growing more and more mushrooms at that point. And that's when I decided to uh, quit my job and just go all in on this. Because at the time there was just maybe a handful of mushroom farms in Colorado. I knew of Hazeldell and Mile High Fungi, but I thought that you know, this might be a good opportunity. It's, it really was like the, uh, the crossroads of all of my skills and passions. Um, so like the laboratory side of mushroom growing was like my, my education. And then my passion was in growing things. And then I had enough space to at least start like a startup business, which I always wanted to have my own business. Um, so that was back in June of 2018. And then we were uh, at the following spring, we joined the farmer's market. Uh, so we were at the Cherry Creek farmer's market. And now we also do the Castle Rock farmer's market. But um, at that time, we, we joined that market. And we were there for maybe like a year or two before the pandemic happened. And that was, you know, a really eye-opening experience. But um, we we pivoted a lot and we started making more YouTube content. So um, I started to teach about how to grow mushrooms. And then um, slowly over time, we, we just kept expanding our operations. So about two years ago, we bought this property here in Sedalia, which it's uh, five acres um, right by... Woodbine Ecology Center. So right behind me, there's a like Castle Rock is down below, um, and the the value of this property is that there's a nice valley where we built out our new mushroom farm. So it has really good temperatures, especially for growing mushrooms during the summer. And um, it took us about 18 months throughout the pandemic to build our mushroom house or our Quonset hut which is a big steel building. And about a month ago, uh, we, my wife and I, we moved here full time and she has joined the business full time about um, eight months ago. 
and that kind of brings us up to date. So we are currently growing gourmet mushrooms for um, a couple farmers markets. We also do a, a CSA program, which is a crop share program out in Arvada. And then um, we do wholesale some of our mushrooms and um, we're currently still expanding. We're waiting for uh, the electric company to upgrade our power. So we're getting a 400 amp uh, transformer put in so that we can scale our production even more. And um, I'm still doing YouTube videos. So if you haven't seen Fresh from the Farm Fungi, go check that out. I have like 300 something videos on YouTube. And then um, I also teach classes on how to grow mushrooms. I have a, a ebook, which is getting really popular. It's called Growing Gourmet Mushrooms for Markets. So if you're interested slightly in growing mushrooms, check out the ebook. It breaks down um, that whole journey very detailed. And it also has links to videos and links to different products that I used to get to this point. So um, back in June, I, I kind of lucked out and got to um, vend at the Psychedelic Science Conference down at the Denver Convention Center. And that's kind of how I connected with you guys. And it was just random um, how I got there. I was supposed to be vending at the uh, the Mushroom Summit. But then back last October, they kind of pivoted into like the, the Psychedelic Science and the Mushroom Summit, which was a B2B conference. But I just wanted to be where uh, all the all the people would be. So I, I just posted up next to Moms on Mushrooms and I learned mm -hmm. a lot and I got to network a lot. And during that experience, I tried to just form relationships with uh, really professional people because um, kind of our long-term vision was to have like a mushroom mecca here. So w our vision is to have like, uh, like farm tours and week-long mushroom growing boot camps and um, maybe like retreats if people wanted to facilitate those um, we have a really peaceful area and it's surrounded by wilderness and i just love to you know provide the uh, the atmosphere and the peace of you know people learning about mushrooms and experiencing mushrooms and um yeah so that's kind of where i'm at from about 10 years ago until now <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome so that's pretty um pretty cool that you were able to find your way into the mushroom world um going back a little bit though before you got into mushrooms like what were you doing what was life like like when what when did you first find out about mushrooms did you always know about them since you were a kid or hmm. is it something you discovered later or how did that yeah. work so i would say um like being Italian, um, I have a, a, a strong food heritage. And in Buffalo, New York, where I grew up, um, the most extent of mushrooms I had was just, you know, mushrooms on pizza mm -hmm. or mushrooms in lasagna <laughs> or mushroom sauce. Mm -hmm. which it's very rich and flavorful, which, you know, that's a strong impression early on. Just I just considered it, you know, a flavor, honestly. And then um, I would say when I was growing up, I did a lot of hiking. So exploring the outside, I remember 
um, going to like Chestnut Ridge or Zor Valley, which are very like remote um, parks, I would say, in upstate New York. And mm-hmm. being in New York, it's very humid. So I just took mushrooms for granted, I think. I feel like I remember going on these hikes as a child and like smashing like reishi off of trees and like it was just part of the ecosystem. Um, so then I would say, you know, um, I had some, you know, connection to, I would say, psychedelic drugs like cannabis, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like I've always had insomnia um, since I can remember. And when I was in college, uh, I, you know, experimented just with smoking pot and, you know, eating cannabis. And I felt a lot of relief in that. And there was a one experience where uh, a friend had a, um, a cottage over in the Adirondack Mountains. And uh, he he brought some psychedelic mushrooms, you know, like a large amount, actually, um, <laughs> for a group of us. And my first experience, I guess, with the spiritual aspect of mushrooms was just kind of haphazardly um, just eating some mushrooms. And like, I just remember they brought out some bongos and it was very like tribal. Um, and mm-hmm. I ate you know, a good amount. I don't even remember how much, but it was enough where the trees were moving and, you know, we were all in the moment just enjoying nature. Um, And that was like, you know, there was a long time that went between that and then my urge just to try to grow mushrooms. But it was kind of a memorable experience. Um, Just, you know, I remember just feeling like, the vibrations of of the forest around us and uh, we watched like um the david bowie movie the labyrinth and like Mm -hmm. just like being like like hyper aware and kind of changing my perception of that um it was that was kind of like just an immature maybe like a coming of age experience with mushrooms but uh that was kind of memorable and then years later, like I said, I, I'm just an avid gardener. So it was my curiosity and my passion for growing just edible things. Because we I we had like a bunch of tomatoes and squash. And it was like in this pretty shady area. And I'm like, well, what could I grow in shade? And then um, I read like this forum that maybe that people had planted mushrooms, but I think that they were Kingstropharia. So I didn't even understand the difference between that and like a button mushroom. And, um, but yeah, then like the shroomery had like a tremendous resource of information about all mushrooms, but then it was heavily geared towards psychedelic mushrooms. So that kind of, uh, you know, just made it even more interesting to me. It's like, why is this natural thing like so underground? And it was very similar to cannabis, like growing up, just being in, you know, a very uh, rural area and just growing up in the 90s. Like, I feel like natural medicines were shunned. And then when I actually tried, you know, cannabis and it, it helped me tremendously that kind of led me to like 
just, uh, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, the information that you hear. And it's not for everyone, but I don't know. Like I said, I found a lot of peace and usefulness with cannabis. Um, when we moved out to Denver, that was right when all that legalization was happening here. So I felt like there was like this surge of freedom. And um, that's why I like living in Colorado is, you know, people are free to do what they want and explore, you know, the mind, however they choose. And I'm all for that freedom. Um, And I think that, you know, mushrooms can help people just physically as far as being like a healthy food alternative or like a healthy meat alternative, like a lot of our customers are vegetarians or vegans and we eat mushrooms i would say almost every day um whether it's like a powder or just in our cuisine like we eat a lot of pasta and focaccia bread and um like i just made some bruschetta and yesterday we had um just like a like a a fajita with mushrooms in it and i feel like it's just it, it, it's a unexplored or unrepresented um, food group, or I would just say like a part of the world that we live in. It's just kind of, it's always been on the back burner, but recently mushrooms have gained their popularity. And um, with the recent pandemic, people are more health conscious. And then uh, fantastic fungi came out that really helped mainstream like uh, some of the more like gourmet mushrooms like lion's mane and oyster mushrooms. And then um, I would say like that, that show on HBO with, with the parasite, um, like it's a cordyceps mushroom, but that helped gain awareness about mushrooms. And I feel like it's just gaining steam and, you know, here in Denver, uh, the proposition that, decriminalized magic mushrooms gained more awareness for mushrooms in general so it's like everything is just like snowballing into this really big movement about mushrooms i know right (laughs) yeah i i I was i was seeing it the same way because i was like it's like i haven't been in this since 2018 like you but i mean Mm -hmm. in i think i started 2019 like at the end of 2019 is when I got into mushrooms and it was the same thing. Like back then, no one was talking about mushrooms. You know what I mean? It was like, it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't even know how I found out about it. A friend like just told me about mushrooms and I started reading about them, but now it's like, they're in the movies. They're like, you know what I mean? Mario brothers, Sonic, they got mushroom planet. (laughs) And it's just like, you know, it's, it's really cool to see all of the, you know, everyone and thanks to Paul Stamets really I think he kind of led the way and his team right with fantastic fungi I think that was the start right was that movie yep Yep. yeah so I remember also uh my wife and I we went to a talk at CU Denver maybe like five years ago um I just saw this ad on Facebook and it was this lecture by like mushroom guru Paul Stamets and it was actually focused at saving the bees so we were like all right well let's go check this out and then it was just like a mind-blowing talk about how mushrooms like help the ecosystem and 
then how they were making this like extract out of uh, agaricus mushroom or agaricon mushrooms, like the little uh, nodules that grow on the trees. And then they were feeding that to bees and helping them um, get cured from this mite that was going around. I'm like, this is insane. Like how do more people not know about this? And then, yeah, like it, it maybe two three years went by. Then the pandemic happened. And like, I feel like Paul Stamets and the whole like functional mushrooms movement just exploded at that point. Um, yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. So, um, so that's interesting. So your, your, your background then, like you said, you went to college for, um, what was it, it was again? Was clinical laboratory science. So clinical I, laboratory science. Yeah. So I worked in a blood bank and we would test. Uh, compatibility for people um, when they had to receive blood transfusion. But then I also studied heavily clinical mycology. So it was more of like how fungal infections would affect the body. And then if someone came in and they were sick and the doctors didn't know what to do, we would test their blood samples or we would test like a lot of uh, like infants would get like a like a fungal infection on their scalp and we would grow that out and try and figure out what um, antibiotics would work against that particular fungus Um, that was my extent of mycology at the time like I had no idea that there was like mycology in the ecosystem and then um, as far as like growing mushrooms um, I knew of all the mushroom farms in Pennsylvania because I was from upstate New York but I was like, yeah, they just grow these button mushrooms. Like it's probably really simple. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I just never thought about, you know, more than the clinical aspect. But then Mm -hmm. um, after I worked at the blood bank, they had a sister company in Centennial and they were um, making products out of stem cells and uh, aloe tissue. So like uh, people would donate, their uh, skin tissue and they would make skin grafts out of it and um, we would basically procure stem cells like we worked in like these big like it was like a space suit and then we would have to take tissue that was donated and uh, procure like the the cells that were most viable and one of the products we did was like uh, like a heart stint it was like a tube it would be like a silicone tube that would be mixed with stem stem cells. And then a surgeon could use that instead of uh, taking an artery out of someone's leg. Um, so it would like prevent oh. two openings and it would also be like a fresher product. So I feel like there was like a movement towards stem cells and regenerative, regenerative medicine. Um, we also made like this putty that, people if they got in really bad car crashes they could like put this in someone's jaw and then it would help them regrow um so i did that for a few years and there was just a lot of uh you know turnover in that company is very like a like a biotech company so it was cool to see like the small scale of it but then also it was very demanding like we would have 12-hour shifts where we'd have to wear these suits and if you wanted to go to the bathroom, you'd have to like decontaminate yourself and go through the locker room and then come back and 
it was like a whole process. So I learned a lot of like uh, aseptic technique and just the rigor of working with live tissues. Um, and then, like I said, that is when cannabis became legal. So I think uh, my supervisor, he like broke off from the team and went to California. And then there was a bunch of restructuring. So I ended up leaving that job and I joined um, uh, a company. It was called Native Roots. It's like one of the biggest companies for like large scale cannabis grow. And mm -hmm. I was one of the early employees there. Um, I, I helped, you know, start the tissue culture program, which we uh, took tissue samples of cannabis plants and then we would breed them or basically we would just run them through uh, the, the tissue culture process. And it created a lot of different variants. Some of them, I think maybe they still use today, but we bred I would say about 80 or 90 different phenotypes and then they ran them through the system and we figured out which ones worked best and, you know, helped mm. to dial in that whole process. And then um, after that project was over, they offered me like a position to just be a, a cultivator, but I liked the science. Like I'm, I've always loved working in the lab. So I decided to, um, join a, a lab that was testing for um, like the safety product. So I was a supervisor for a microbiology lab and we would test for yeast and mold and bacterial contaminants um, in either bud or if people made like edibles or hash oil or whatever, we would mm -hmm. test it for the safety standards. And during that time, um, I helped a lot of farms remediate problems like for instance the one farm they were sending in samples like every six months and then like maybe like one out of ten of those would fail for some reason and we would visit their facility and map out all the different areas and i would do like environmental testing so we could pinpoint like oh well there's this leak from the ceiling um, which is causing you know some mold to form here so this is why you know your products were uh, failing the QC. And then there's a lot of, um, I would say like safety checks in place, which actually helped, you know, raise the standard of that industry a lot. So I'm, I'm happy that I participated in that. But um, after a while, it just got way overwhelming. Like the first, you know, week or two I was there, we were getting like four or five samples a week. And then by the end of, you know, three or four years working there, or maybe it was only two years, um, I was getting about 100 to 150 samples a day. So scaling like that whole workload was very mm -hmm. interesting and pretty overwhelming. Um, so along the whole time that I saw all of those, like they were almost like startup companies. Um, I was like, well, I would rather, you know, put all this effort into my own company and then, you know, work for the long term instead of just continuing to get burned out um, working for someone else. So that kind of edged my decision to start our mushroom farm. And, you know, thankfully, um, the mushroom industry here in Denver 
and Colorado. And I would just say the Western culture has just skyrocketed since I joined. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So your background is really. um, Sorry about that. You're good. (laughs) My uh, table. Oh, you're fine. Go ahead and fix it. I like the background, though. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a, like I said, I think now he's probably taking a nap in there, but it's the best spot where I could do these podcasts without worrying about the noise. Is is that from your house, that view? Yep, yeah. Oh, man, that's killer. (laughs) Wow, look at that view. That's incredible. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's B Rock. And then there's Elephant Rock. Uh-huh. And then this back here is uh, it's Roxborough State Park. Is that wow. right? Oh and then gosh. our neighbors here, they recently just bought um, this plot behind us. And they're, they're uh, doing cattle. So about two nights ago, we were out here and we heard all this thumping around in the woods. And... Uh, I got like a big spotlight and I was shining it and there was like a line of cows just all along the fence back there. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's definitely man. a big lifestyle change from Denver, but uh, my wife and I, we both grew up in the country. So it was always our goal to kind of escape mm-hmm. the urban life. And um, yeah, we ended up selling that house and then investing a lot into our business and, you know, just this new lifestyle here so uh we're thankful that we've gotten to this point and you know the mushroom community here is super helpful and um yeah so that's why i you know i love being out in the peace and quiet and it helps me focus on you know doing the lab work and just just continuing to grow our business and it's a lot of work to grow mushrooms it's definitely um, six or seven days a week but then uh, we decided to do like a seasonal farm so we'll shut down in November and then we don't start again until like late March so um, I'm a big snowboarder and I always played hockey growing up and um, I just wanted to have the flexibility over the winters to kind of do those recreations and um, the person who taught me how to grow mushrooms he recommended that too he's like it's a lot of work and to some of these businesses that just run 24 7 365 like you need a lot of help to do that so i'm you know i'm really comfortable just grinding it out for the summer and then i get those a few months off in the winter so it creates a balance and um yeah so we haven't stayed a full winter here yet but we had a tenant here um until we we moved in and oh, yeah. it's uh it's gonna be exciting with all the snow and um yeah <laughs> oh man that's awesome just the Col- colorado lifestyle yeah yeah exactly that's awesome you grew up in the country i grew up in the country too and like i grew up in northern cali oh and, very cool yeah like so out by my, the redwoods yeah near south of redding and weed, right. but more toward like um, Yuba City area, 
um, Oroville, that type of area around there. And my neighbors were like cows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> so yeah. I grew up trespassing. We used to call it exploring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mom would say, don't come home until this it's getting dark. <laughs> She'd yep. kick me out of the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, but sure. yeah, yeah, I love the country. That's awesome that you get to enjoy it. Yep. Um, I, I was in the Navy 20 years and I, I've spent the last 20 years like in city environment and I'm just now trying to get back to the country and re like, you know, reincorporate myself back into it. Cause I've been out so long, <laughs> but, yeah, um, cool. so, so your background is, um, really with like almost on a biology level, like genetics and tissues and stuff like that. So, yeah. Going from that to mushroom growing, mm -hmm. um, it kind of complements it, doesn't it? Because you were able, like you were working in the cannabis and you were able to do genetics, mm -hmm. sounds like. Were you like breeding, like crossbreeding different strains together and stuff yep. like that? Yeah, so I did a little bit of uh, like pollen breeding, but when you grow, so, uh, okay, I'll backpedal. So the main goal of our project was to eliminate a uh, tobacco mosaic virus. So we had inherited a few really good strains of cannabis, but um, the tobacco mosaic virus would persist through traditional cloning. So mm -hmm. someone in the company had the idea to do uh, a plant tissue culture to kind of breed out that um, virus and what we discovered was we could we could clean up a strain however out of you know the little tissue that we would collect and then all the progenitors that would stem from that there would be a ton of variation so we would get like out of 20 of these little test tube clones maybe four of them would be like kind of similar to the mother culture but then there would be like a spectrum, like some of these plants. I remember um, when they would go into veg, they would be like curly cues. And then there would be a lot of like polyploidy plants with like really thick buds, but they would take like four months to flower. So um, the goal of our project was to weed out the virus, which we ended up, you know, saving a few of those strains. But then also we created all these different variants of that, which was not expected. So um, I would say, you know, we, we dialed in our process pretty well, but then they ended up going back towards traditional cloning just because it was, it was pretty expensive to get all the reagents for tissue culture. And uh, I think we completed the goal, the mission, but that w was very similar to mushroom growing so if, if you ever are interested in plant tissue culture and you know i've hemmed and hawed about um adding some of the, that content to my channel um it's just super expensive to buy like the tmz is like a thousand dollars for like a little vial that you have to freeze and um be very careful because it's like shelf stable so it you have to kind of have a purpose to do tissue culture but now that we have all this land, 
um one of one of my visions was to make like um like some fruit trees and then maybe do like a patch of some oak trees with mushrooms um incorporated into those roots which i haven't had time to explore that yet but maybe in the next few years um i can start going back to the plant tissue culture but um yeah like the parallel between growing cannabis and growing mushrooms is very similar so like cloning is like doing auger work and then Uh. um and then i would say like veg is like spawn and then flower is like fruiting so it's very similar um Mm -hmm. you have to be very clean like clean in both of those aspects and then the way they set up um like cannabis farms here in colorado is very similar to how you would set up a mushroom farm so i got to see all different size grows which really was beneficial for me um in my in my new profession because i got to see you know what a a hundred pound a week mushroom farm or a hundred pound a week cannabis farm looks like and then i got to see the biggest scale like down in pueblo where they have these huge outdoor facilities and um, just mm-hmm. kind of like the scale and what what work is required to uh, maintain that production. So I, I, I'm kind of blessed to see like behind the scenes as that whole industry played out, um, which, you know, it, like I said, it's, it's very similar to mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, I can see the parallel, just like you said. And having that background, you know, you were you were doing genetics with flowers and now with plants, you know, and then you transitioned into the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And then um, how did that look for you going from that? And then what was like the reason? Like, what was the point where you just like, okay, I'm switching now. And we're going because you went from from the cannabis side straight into the mushrooms, right? Yep. Yeah. And it was really just the equipment that I had. And like I said, um, when I posted that ad on Craigslist and um, the that woman reached out to me, I was like, OK, well, maybe I can make this work. I had been saving my money for a couple years. Um, and then I knew like the cannabis world was just saturated. And I, I kind of got turned off by some of the uh the systemic problems that were happening like there was a lot of uh self-interest um so the some of the regulations were were pro grower versus pro consumer so for instance they would be able to test um certain products and then after they passed so many they wouldn't have to test again for two years and in my mind is like okay well if i was a grower that means like now we can cut corners for a couple years. And that was in the very beginning. So I would say since then, um, all of these regulations have kind of ironed themselves out. But oh, at, at the time I was I was um, part of that world, like there was once a week or once every two weeks, brand new regulations. And then like I just remember this one time where all these farms had to put a pause on their production or even some went out of business because they had to like have cameras covering every square inch of their facility where they just invested their life savings into like, you know, buying lights 
and then two weeks later now they have to buy all these cameras and it was interesting to see the industry just like play out um what's that why they need so many cameras like what's the um, deal with that? i don't know it was uh it was for to prevent uh theft and stuff like that uh, but it i didn't really have um you know a say in what was happening i just kind of witnessed it all so i just remember seeing people you know that were producing really good quality weed and then they would just go out of business in two months because they couldn't keep up with like buying like the seed to sale equipment and some like like i said like the mom and pop people would just get uh out out capitalized by all these rules and they would Uh, you know i see i see what you mean yeah it's like The people that are kind of over it now are kind of controlling it and making sure the smaller people get pushed out, right? Yeah, it was like through the rules and the regulations and stuff like that. It was like a consolidation of industry. And um, some of the people that ended up, you know, benefiting were, were the actual producers instead of the consumer. So I was always like, Everyone should be able to buy, you know, cannabis if they want, but it should be really good quality and you should be able to pick up this like, you know, label and read exactly what happened. And that kind of got grayed out during the big explosion of legalization. And ever since then, I feel like the dust has settled, like I said, but that that at that time um, was really stressful and. I felt like I always wanted to have my own business just because, um, you know, I work a lot all the time. Like I'm, I'm, it's just part of my personality that I never sit still, which is why I like gardening, which is why I like growing mushrooms. Um, you can ask my wife, like from four 30 in the morning until 8 PM, I am just on my feet doing <laughs> something. So it just like, it was just fitting. And, I uh, I was promised a bunch of things like when I was working for those people and they never fulfilled those promises. And that just built like resentment and where eventually I was like, OK, well, I have a complete mushroom lab. I've grown mushrooms. I have like a little bit of a cushion. So now I'm going to quit my job. And honestly, that was super scary. Um, <laughs> it Like we went from two incomes down to one income. Um, I was just barely making ends meet for about a year and I worked, you know, a couple part-time jobs. Like I worked at a pizzeria where I would go in for, you know, four or five hours a day and like, you know, bust my butt working for that just so I had enough money to, you know, make it work with the mushroom farm. And it -hmm. took maybe two or three years, uh, of doing that, like, uh, yeah, my work, my wife, uh, she picked up a shift at Applebee's at one point um, for a couple months just so we could pay the bills. So, like, I don't like to paint this picture that it just instantly was successful because there was a lot of stressful moments. But I knew that in the long term, it would pay out. And, you know, I really enjoyed growing mushrooms. So it was it didn't feel like work. And then slowly we found our niche in the marketplace which for me that is like uh, breeding new mushroom varieties so since five years ago we've probably bred 
like 16 or 17 different strains of um, like I've done oyster mushrooms, chestnut, cordyceps, piapino, lion's mane, which lion's mane is very difficult. So I don't, I don't think I had a success, but just uh, in the off season, that's what my focus is, is I'll take my weakest strains and then breed them out. And slowly over time, um, maybe I was getting 0.8 pounds per block my first year. Then the next year I get uh, 1.2 pounds. And then slowly it makes our our farm more efficient. And then um, I get to share those genetics uh, all over in the industry. And people exclusively will buy our liquid culture for their farm um, because for whatever reason that mushroom grows good in their climate and uh, that's kind of you know my strength is just uh really breeding pure cultures and that has helped balance our farm so that i don't have to work 70 hours a week all year round and then in the winter i can kind of settle in and reassess what we're doing but um yeah so i hope that kind of makes sense no, yeah, that does because uh, it sounds like your genetic experience and background is mm-hmm. really contributing to your success with growing mushrooms because you're able to breed out the best growing mushrooms that perform for you specifically in your mm-hmm. climate, right? And so you being able to do that has actually been a big part of your success, right? I would agree with that. And that kind of just came out of, you know, accident or just like, I think it's just all my background coming together and, Mm -hmm. you know, it came out of necessity too, because I ended at one point I was buying all the different strains I could get my hands on. I'm like, well, I see these people, they're getting these awesome flushes. Like, why don't mine look like that? So I would buy like every genetic yeah. I could. And then I figured out like, I'm just going to start breeding them from spore because none of my mushrooms look uh, that good. And okay. um, the first time I did that, like I was blown away because I think it was my pink oyster like video. You can watch that video series on YouTube. And like my pink oysters were like really sporadic and like flarpy. And then I ran them through breeding and I got one strain that was just phenomenal and it, it just clicked. I'm like, okay, well, what if these mushrooms like to be in a very specific environment? And my basement, what at the time was mm. like way different than, you oh, know. Oh, yeah, there you go. And there you like, go. Yeah. I, th- so I think you're onto something. Yeah, with the spores, because yep. maybe when you start from spores in your location, the two spores that come together, there's going to be a lot that come together if you're, well, if you inject a lot yep. or put a lot, right? You'll get a lot of different, you know, strains that start to grow out. But then the one that wins is the one that liked your climate the best. Yeah. Right. And so that's really interesting because a lot, I hear it all the time. People, oh, get liquid culture because it's better. But now I'm getting a different perspective where actually it can be better to start from spores in your yes. location, right? Yes, as long as you have uh, the patience and the willingness to have a lot of them be not good, because we probably did, I think it was like 
out of uh, 60 different jars of different crosses, um, I think two or three of them were good. So if you take that philosophy, you really have to stretch it out. Otherwise, it might not work. Um, but I see the value of liquid culture, and then I also see the value of spores. And right. it, it kind of clicked with me about four or five years ago. And ever since then, I've just taken my weakest one, run it through, see what I could get. And over time, it was like moving the needle a little bit yeah, more every time. Yeah, and now, you know, I'm doing the same amount of work, but getting way more mushrooms mm -hmm. like five years later. So I encourage everyone yeah. to do that. Um, it And it will be exciting to see different variations that come out over time and just contributing like what i know to the community has helped me learn because then people will you know critique your techniques and it mm -hmm. if <laughs> i mean sometimes the comments are pretty harsh but uh i feel like <laughs> it also helps you like figure out what you're doing wrong exactly it does yeah. no i i'm the same way i yeah. i get a lot of comments and they're harsh as well and <laughs> but you know it, it gives you a you need that, right? You need that feedback. Some of it, maybe not so much. You could do without some of it, but yeah. a lot of it's good feedback, you know, yep. it helps us grow. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as far as your uh, experience and whatnot, like what is your, what was your like induction into the mushroom world? And like, where do you see yourself headed? Like, I'm interested in hearing like your side of the story and you know, how did you decide to start, you know, hosting these podcasts and stuff like that? Oh, sure. Yeah. No one's asked me that. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Like for me, um, I'm retired Navy. So I did. And I grew up, I grew up in a family that suffered from a lot of mental health issues growing up. And so I seen a lot of the stuff back then, right? We're talking 20 years, 30, you know, damn, am I almost 40? Oh my gosh, I'm almost 40. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, golly, time's flying. Um, but um, yeah, back then, you know, mushrooms, cannabis, all these things were not an option. Like not even in the equation. Like it was the opposite, right? People thought it was illegal. I mean, they thought it was bad. It was illegal. It's still legal, but they thought it was bad. And I grew up with a lot of my family going to jail and in and out of jail and all these things for drugs. And so I just thought, Oh, I, I stay away from that. Right. So my, I didn't have any real experience cause I thought I was being good and went in the Navy, got out of the Navy. And so after that, toward the end of my career is when I, my, I was into healthy stuff though. I, my whole life I've loved nutrition. I did personal training in the Navy. And so a lot of my background is about that. And someone in it talked about mushrooms to me and, um, and I, and I started researching it and I was blown away. It's kind of like you, like when you get into the mushroom world and you're like, <laughs> hold on, wait, 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 is they can do that? Like one dose can have that huge of an impact on someone's life and help with mental health issues. And then, so I was immediately hooked. Like, I was like, wait a minute, if this is even halfway true, like, this is incredible, right? I need to know more. So that's kind of how I got in. And I started, 
And the way my personality is, when I decide to finally go into something, I'm like all in, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no halfway in. I don't dabble. I'm just, okay, I'm in. <laughs> and so once I got in, I started blogging. I started doing articles, started doing YouTube videos, kind of like you're doing. And, um, and I'm doing a lot of the similar stuff and spreading the awareness of what these things can do. So we started the podcast for the same reason, for, to bring amazing people like you on to tell your story. And it's all about building the community, right? Because I feel yeah. like there's a lot of misinformation out there and somebody needs to be giving real information, you know? And we can't trust everything that's in the news and the media. And, and you know, because I grew up believing a lot of things. And like you said, as soon as you do mushrooms, you're like, wait a minute. And then I had my experience, right? I, I flew to Costa Rica. I was scared to death. But I did the hero's journey. That was my first time doing it wow. and it completely changed my life. I mean, I was under a waterfall in the middle of the jungle, naked, like in the mud, because I've always been a nature guy. I'm kind of like you. I love nature. I was like, if I'm doing this, I got to be out in nature. Like everyone else was like, all right, let's get the eye patches and let's lay down. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, I can't do that. I was like, no, nah, no. Nah. I said, if we're doing this, we got to do it outside. So we went into the jungle and did it there and had this amazing connection with nature, but it really just changed my life spiritually completely after that. And that kind of solidified it even more. You know, now I believed it and I was like, holy crap, this is real. Like this ain't a joke. Like this is real. And that believability shift for me was enormous. And so now like it used to be like, kind of a, a hobby doing these things. But then I switched like you, I said, you know what? I got out of the Navy. I'm like, I'm doing this full time. Like, I want to do this. And so we, and that's kind of how I got into, <laughs> it's like the mushrooms found me because I was not even, if you would have asked me five years ago, if I ever thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I'd be like, no way. Like, there's no way. Yeah. But um, they kind of found me and brought me into the world. And, um, and here we are. Awesome. Well, I love it. I feel like a lot of people have that same timeline and um yeah mm -hmm. sometimes i wonder like are the mushrooms just training me to grow them <laughs> it's like exactly i feel, I feel, that way. I feel the same way i feel I'm like way i feel like often. because i started learning marketing like before like for 10 years i studied marketing and so a lot of my skill set is with marketing and it's almost like i was wondering now like were the mushrooms like teaching me marketing so that I could come spread awareness about mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I, I feel the same way as you do. I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm just like, that's why I wear the hat because I feel like I'm just a mushroom. Like the mushrooms are <laughs> running, you know, driving this boat. And so I'm going to give them credit, not me. So this is my way. You know, people say, Oh, you got an ego. Well, my ego is the mushroom. <laughs> the <laughs> ego is the mushroom because I, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> cool. so what is yeah. that? Uh, what's that tank top shirt you got on? I know oh, yeah, you, is... you got the same mug too. It looks pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's our shroom bomb. Sick. It's our bag. So we have the, uh, <laughs> we got these all in one bag. This oh, is primarily nice. for people who want to grow from spores. Very cool. So there it is. These are our happy mushroom for sad people bags. Um, <laughs> These are designed for injecting spores, right? Yeah. Um, we're able to do it legally, but it's not easy. 
There's a yeah. like, you know, like there's a legal, a lot of legal, but there's a legal loophole, right? As you know, working yeah. with genetics, you can get spores for any mushroom legally yeah. in almost every state for the purpose of studying them under a microscope, right? Yeah. So um, you have to we be able to verify if uh, what spore it is. And the spores don't contain any substances. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a it's a weird way that it has persisted, which I'm thankful for. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. But very cool. So how long have you guys been making those kits for? Yeah, I guess three years now. Um, it didn't start out. It wasn't a. it was like you like the first year was kind of bumpy. Uh, maybe the first couple of years, <laughs> a little bumpy because. I went through several different formulas, learning, trying to figure them out, right? Because we're getting high contamination in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And and finally, I partnered with some people that really knew that how to grow these mushrooms way better than me. And I flew out, met them, and we're still working together now. But when I flew out to meet him, he's like, here, he's like, he's like your grow bags suck, dude. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to make them better, though. And he's like, come here. And so he takes me in the other room and he shows me his grow room. And it was like, you open the door, it's like, woof, like the light. It's just like, you know, you walk in, it's like the Wizard of Oz or something. You walk in and he's just growing all <laughs> these mushrooms all over the room. He, I mean, he was like an expert at it. And I was like, whoa. He's like, this is what your grow bag should be doing. And he showed me some stuff and I was like, yes. I said, I want to do that. <laughs> He's like, all right, let's do it. And so he started helping me create the formulas, manufacture the bags. And then um, the only other problem to solve after that was the spore syringes because, you, you, as you know, right, they're high risk of contamination with spores. Yep. And so we had to figure out a way to get spores to people that had the lowest possible chance of contamination because we needed them to be able to inject them straight into a bag. No agar, no going to liquid culture, just straight to the bag and grow whatever grows grows right yep and so that was the next process and we we finally found another company that we work with to provide that and cool. um and so they create they, they got an amazing process for that and so that's kind of been the evolution but man it's been it's been hard to get here <laughs> you know what i mean yeah well it's a very competitive world but you know i'm I'm glad that you found the the missing piece to kind of formulate that for you. And then just um, I think that people growing their own is very much more spiritual than just finding some random mushrooms. So I feel like the market for these grow kits will always be there because people will want to, you know, watch it grow. And then you feel the connection. Mm -hmm. I, I almost feel like it would create a better energy anyway than just you know, unless you trust the provider, but, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So like building this bridge between like the, uh, the capitalistic aspect of mushrooms versus like the personal aspect, I feel like that, you know, over time will play out and it'll just keep growing the community. And, um, yeah. So how did you find out about that? retreat center that you went to or was it just like random like how did you end up going to that other country because i feel like that model is going to start penetrating like the markets here in colorado and places mm -hmm. like in uh, oakland that it's starting to legalize and oregon like i feel yeah, like yeah. 
what did you like about that experience and what do you think could have been better if it was like in america or like i don't know i'm just really Mm -hmm. curious about that because i haven't actually spoke to many people that have gone out on one of those journeys and like came back and you know you know can talk about it i guess yeah 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 absolutely i mean the retreats like honestly like i remember the retreat started as a as that that retreat I went on was my retreat. So I sent out an email to my community and I was like, hey guys, we're gonna do a retreat in Costa Rica. Um, because wow. really I wanted to be, I needed a way to use them. And I was like, well, heck, why not use them when there's other people around, you know what yeah. I mean? And so um, invited people out, they came out. So a few people came out and wanted to participate in the retreat. And I had a guy there that was um, experienced in it and had done them before and and so we went out there and he you know he kind of prepared everyone for it and we stayed there at the um an airbnb and and we we went out me and him i flew out there early so me and him went out and scouted the areas and we we had he he was living in costa rica at the time he was from um the same area i was from because we were actually working together on another project but he was in costa rica so he had already scouted out the area. He knew the location. He had the cooks. He had everything set up to put this retreat on. And so um, that's kind of how I ended up there. He And so I flew out and and did it with, with, um, with him. And we put it on together. I mean, we created a good curriculum. And then we did another one later on after that where um, yeah. now I got to monitor other people doing it. My gosh, I learned so much from doing that. And yeah. I learned a lot. I learned a lot of stuff not to do as much as what to do. Right. Yeah. Cause it's very, um, you know, a lot goes on right on these things. It's not yeah. a joke. It's not something to be taken lightly. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's, it's very powerful stuff. And, um, so, but yeah, like that's kind of, we're moving more in the retreat direction because I, um, I'm actually flying out to meet Alan Belcher here in Mississippi he's the current heavyweight champion of the world in um, bare knuckle boxing on BKFC. Wow. And he wants to do retreats at his retreat center. And um, he's currently doing them there. He bought this, you know, multi-million dollar retreat center and it's on like it's ocean front and all this stuff. And, wow. but he contacted me and he wanted me to partner with him on doing these retreats for mushrooms and stuff like that. So we're, we're actually doing that. I think the first week of next month, me and my business partner flying out there, and so, yeah, we definitely, we want to do, we're being called to do, create some type of a retreat and, um, also put on events. Like I was at awakening 2023 in Los Angeles, just, just, um, a couple weeks ago and man, there's something powerful about a community, right? Being around people like you, you were just came from an event, right? And how was that? I mean, that, that was it does something to you, right? It fuels yeah. you, or, you know, you feel connected or something. Absolutely. Like I consider myself part of the mushroom family. Like that, I just, I love rocking like other people's t-shirts and stuff. And being at that community was so uplifting. Uh, I talked for like 14 hours a day for three days straight, <laughs> all mushrooms, anything I could talk about, but I left it feeling like, just emptied like a vessel and then very like it's spiritual to just be around other people that have the same passion as you so i feel like you know 
just reflecting on that and seeing how many people were there. Like that was the main thing. There's probably like 10,000 people. Like at one point uh, there was like a hail warning and everyone went outside and just the whole entire block around that Denver convention center was like shoulder to shoulder, like mushroom enthusiasts and seeing all those people in one area was very inspiring. Um, And yeah, I felt like that was like this like seed that birthed, a lot of these connections that are happening like there's so many like like very veteran psychiatrists that were trying to like come out in the open and be like well i don't want to like risk my you know 30 years of practice to do these retreats but at the same time i want to because i've done two of them and they work way better than anything that i've done in the past so like hearing those stories was very uplifting and it like it was just by chance like i was next to this tent called moms on mushrooms and there was like news cameras that were just all the time interviewing this this mom or group of moms that they like microdose on mushrooms for postpartum depression and create like this this like network of like friends basically that are like how do you get through this tough period of time together and then like across from us there was like this other mushroom farm that is like a third generation farmer so hearing his perspective on like his grandpa started a mushroom farm in california and then his dad took it over and now the three brothers are growing it even more isn't that far west is that far west fungi yeah yeah those guys i talked to um i don't remember his name but he was like the the director of ops and hearing like his perspective is like i just want to help these smaller mushroom farms because we're already maxed out like we just want (laughs) to continue like the mushroom industry and just i asked him questions for like 30 minutes straight and he would just rattle off these answers so just that 30 minute conversation was worth the entire conference but then i also got to hear like aaron Rodgers talk and he was talking about like going to these retreats, it, I think it was ayahuasca, which sounds a lot more intense, but it's the same concept. Like he went with his teammates and then they would all get, you know, really vulnerable and work out their demons and then come back and mm-hmm. like have that, that bonding moment together. So I think yeah, that yeah. in modern day culture, there's like something missing, like a lot mm-hmm. of this, like, craziness that's happened like i would say that our politics and ever since like you know maybe four or five years ago it's just been derailed and like people need something to grab onto and for me that's mushrooms um i love the community so i appreciate you having me on this platform and talk about mushrooms and just hearing your journey and like it's like a focal point for someone just to grab onto and, you know, mushroom people are just so friendly and open. And because you kind of know if you went through that filter, like, <laughs> like you already know, like, oh, OK, well, they must be. Yeah, at least, you know, it, you know, you know, really quick if somebody's um, I don't yeah. know what the word is, but awake, I guess, yeah. or been, been through it, um, yeah. had a, you know, had a big dose, because once someone's been through it, it's like you're already connected to them. Yeah. Like, and it's like, it's, you can just feel it like instantly or something. It's really interesting. Right. 
Yeah. So I would I would agree with that. And, you know, I think it's just going to keep on evolving over time. And as people realize how silly it is to regulate, you know, or not even regulate it, but to make it illegal is like absurd because, yeah, it's such an eye opening experience. And, you know, maybe it's not for everyone, but you should be able to choose whether or not it's for you. Um, so, and I yeah. mean, honestly, at this point, like that whole federal law is, should be null and void because yeah. when something's a schedule one substance, it means that there's no, there's no medical use for it. Right. Mm. That's one of the criteria to make something schedule one. Like there has to be no medical proof of it helping anybody. And then not only that, everyone's protected by the freedom of religion act and the mm-hmm. Freedom Land Use Act and all these other acts that have been around a lot longer than that Schedule One Act uh, law and that protect your rights to use plants from the earth. And so, like, I think that at some point that, that law is going to have to just go because it doesn't make any sense. Like, how can you make a Schedule One when it's there's so many people coming forward almost daily at this point talking about how they've changed their life <laughs> for yeah. better in so many different ways, right? So... Like that law has got to go. Like that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> and, and, I high, agree. and highly and, and then highly use uh, high possibility of addiction. Like it's like the opposite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after you do it, like I don't even want to look at it for a long time. <laughs> exactly, but it's like it's, it's ridiculous. Very, yeah, it's very potent and powerful, and I feel like that is like like a self like contained loop almost like i don't know i'm i i do have an addictive personality but you're right it's like it's something that once you go through it's like you learn from it and then it's uh, it's like climbing like a 14er out here you don't want to do it again for a long time <laughs> and i and i know people that sometimes do use it a lot very often mm-hmm. um because of that addiction personality yeah and even them they just tell me like it just stops working like, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? They're like, I got to stop using it because I, I just took two grams and I don't really feel anything. Yep. And so like, it's, it's an amazing plant to where you can't really abuse it. And then the other thing is there's like no known, at least I've never, maybe you have heard differently, but I've never heard of a known deadly dose. And I've heard of people taking over a hundred grams of mushrooms and they're fine. Like no one, there's like, you know what I mean? Like there's no overdose. Or yep. I would say I know about. people who are allergic to mushrooms, but they know because, you know, they tried a slice of pizza with mushrooms on it and their right. mouth got tingly. So like, uh-huh. I would say those people should not eat mushrooms. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but it's yeah, like, yeah, 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 as far as the actual experience and stuff, like right, most of right. the people that I've seen, they just come out more grounded and it's important to have the right setting. It's important to be around like trustworthy people. Like there could be, you know, nefarious people that really want to do harm, which that is why it should be legal. Like that's the opposite of what it should be is like, like they should, be, there should be people like who could go to school to like teach people to work through their problems. And like these, these really, educated and astute doctors they shouldn't have to put their practice on the line to like use this wonderful tool which that's what i learned is like that 
that's what I learned most at that conference because in Colorado now it's decriminalized statewide. So all these mm-hmm. people who are like on the edge of, of like, you know, maybe they're about to retire in 10 years. Those people are finally coming through and leading the way. And they have seen, you know, hundreds or if not thousands of, of people in like foster care that would never get better. And then they, they, I wish I could have interviewed some of these people that I met where they would give people one or two mushroom journeys and then instantly they're corrected where it took them 10 or 12 years of counseling to get to the same point. So it's like, it's so efficient and effective and it has to be recognized more because I think that other than people who have, you know, already gone through their prime in their practice that want to, you know, just experiment in their later ages, like the next phase of people who would join that movement are like the people who are in their prime and people who would come up with better ideas and better like programs or like curriculums, like you said, like there has to be more um, of like a community that's not thwarted by just i don't even know how mushrooms became illegal like it just seems so, <laughs> it just seems so silly to me like who decided that and why and, yeah yeah, yeah it wasn't exactly. in my lifetime so I it wasn't know. in mine yeah yeah i wonder the same things and it makes you wonder i mean i don't want to get into too much like conspiracy stuff but sometimes you know i wonder like why would someone like it, it really makes no sense. And the Native Americans, at least in America, that were here before the white man came, they were practicing these plants for, you know, hundreds or thousands of years. And they're they carry all the knowledge. Like I'm, I'm friends with a lot of indigenous people, and I'm very thankful for them because they 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 educate me and they tell me things that I never knew about these medicines and the right way to use them and how to do different things that I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. And the native, these indigenous people, they carry this knowledge and it's been passed generation to generation. And then it's almost as though the white man came into America, made it illegal for whatever reason, and then it just stuck. And I think we're just now trying to learn what the indigenous people have already known. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's just all coming full circle. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think that this movement is just going to keep building because the more and more people that do it, the more the the truth, the actual truth comes out and the harder it is to like, you know, stifle that education. And, you know, maybe it's not for everyone. Like I want to stress that too. Like, you you know, not everyone should do it or if they don't want to, like, but there, there shouldn't be like a restriction to something that's so, you know, tremendously effective um yeah so that's what i would say and i don't know i'm just thankful to be in colorado and to be at this time in history and you know to be you know growing mushrooms full-time which is my passion and yeah i'm very grateful that like i got to be there and i think that Next year, I'm going to try to go to the Telluride Mushroom Festival. So every year, I try to almost revigorate my passion by going to different events like this. And it was kind of just lucky that I 
I got to vend there and, um, you know, meet all those people. And, you know, I appreciate are you going? You. Are you going to the SciComm yep. event? I don't know. So Never. I have been getting information about it, but um, we just had our, our baby. So I'm kind of grounded for this this whole year just <laughs> yeah we're just we're just focused on our uh our home yeah, and yeah. family and yeah, you're because you're moving yeah. facilities right yeah we just future. finished moving so that was like a huge energy toll is like we we just got settled in to our uh our new facility about a month ago so we moved to july 7th and up until then we were commuting back and forth for like a year and then um, we just couldn't keep up with that. So we had to move here full time. And then it's actually a, a better lifestyle that way is like now I can refocus on everything and um, just being out in the wilderness. So, yeah, that's kind of uh, my next year is just going to be focus and organizing. And we're waiting for the power company to upgrade our transformer. And then um, we're going to try to be upgrading our sterilizers so slowly we can scale up. But every project now just takes months and months um, of just energy and time. So I feel like it's happening slowly, but uh, we put in like all this effort up front. And then finally, eventually, we'll get to where, you know, we want to be. So, yep. Right, right. Yeah. So um, if for anybody watching out there, if, if they want to learn more about what you're doing or what Fresh from the Farm Fungi is doing, I know you got a lot of different things you offer people. Like, where can they go to learn more about you and maybe learn more about, you know, growing mushrooms for the farmers markets and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you could check out our website, first of all fresh from the farm fungi.com that will lead you to all these different places but our etsy shop uh fresh fungi um that is where we put all of our genetics and i've probably worked out six or seven strains over the summer that we're going to be releasing um, pretty soon i just did all the quality control on those um so if you're looking for quality genetics it's a uh, fresh fungi on etsy and then we have a YouTube channel. It's Fresh from the Farm Fungi. And I walk through all of our procedures. Um, we also have a book that I wrote a couple years ago. It's called Growing Gourmet Mushrooms for Market. And that's actually gained a lot of popularity. Um, so it's an ebook, but it kind of breaks it down into videos and links to specific products that I use. So there's like a lot of different products out there. Um, I'm sure you're aware of that. And we just have, you know, gone through the time and effort to figure out what ones are worth it and which ones aren't. And we're always improving that. Um, and then as far as our classes go, uh, we were teaching in-person classes in Denver with my friend Zach. Um, we're still waiting to release that schedule. Um, I'm I'm probably aiming for springtime to do uh, some in-person cultivation classes. And then we're planning to do like a week-long boot camp. It's called the One-on-One -on -one Mushroom Experience, which we have some dates already listed. So if anyone wants to sign up, um, that's through Eventbrite. 
Um, and then, yeah, we're trying to really dial in that because, like I said, our main mission is to create like a mushroom mecca. So if that means like people want to come to our property and have a mushroom wedding or people want to, you know, host like a five course mushroom meal, like a private chef, or if people want to come stay out for a weekend um, and, and just learn how to grow mushrooms. Like these are all things that we're, we're planning and preparing for in the future. We just moved here about a month ago and it's, we've really um, been getting the ball rolling. Like I just finished um, clearing out some of our area around the building um, so we can start composting and um, just uh, building out our, our raised beds. So like I said, I'm an avid gardener. So one of one part of the farm tour is going to be, you know, walking through the mushroom farm. But then I also want to have like a garden walk and then take that up the property. And, um, you know, I love just plants in general. So we're trying to work, work the landscape. So it's almost like a like a event center or just a place where people can <clears throat> come spend a few hours and feel oh that's awesome free and you know just it'll yeah. be almost it'll be like a botanical garden people yeah, can walk so, through and just enjoy all the cool stuff you're doing that's yeah. awesome so we that. want to model it after this place in oregon that um there's a similar guy that was really into bonsai trees and i don't remember the name so i'm very sorry but there's a guy he's been doing it for about 15 or 16 years now and he'll take on a few students a year where they'll learn how to do bonsai trees. And now they have this beautiful bonsai garden and it's like an mm -hmm. educational center and you can buy like his bonsai trees. So that's what I'm trying to recreate, but for mushrooms, if that makes like sense. Um, you'd have to create like a, you'd have, obviously you'd have to create the, um, the climate in like a greenhouse, right? So it's yep. tropical. And then you could have like pathways. Like I just came from, um, it's interesting because I just came from the aquarium here and I'm in, I'm in Texas. So I went to the right. Dallas aquarium yep. and they had this massive white um, greenhouse. Like this thing is huge, like bigger <laughs> than a football field. And it goes up like, golly, a hundred stories high. And inside of this huge greenhouse, they've got tropical everything. Like I seen, I was walking through and I got hit by a, one of those foggers, the humidity foggers. And like the whole place was this really humid tropical place, but it was like, you could walk through, there was trails and real plants growing. Yeah. And I, I, maybe it could be something like that where it's like, you can walk through this whole tropical garden of mushrooms growing everywhere. That would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. So I always joke with my wife is like, I want people to fly in from like a, like, vegas and then fly over our property and it's like a green square and they're like what is that <laughs> <laughs> but if awesome. i could make that happen before the time you know before my time is over here then uh that's kind of my main mission and i don't know i think that that gives me enough timeline to work for that forever but also yeah. it could be it could be doable like i don't know but yeah, yeah it starts yeah, well, off like the heart of our operation is just our mushroom farm. And then that creates the compost. And then um, we're going to be doing some outdoor projects. So like I said, the uncle fungus, he has this golden 
King Strafaria. So we're doing this huge patch. I've also tried to grow morels for a few years and it's getting closer. Um, there's a couple farms here in the U.S. and a, a few places in China and the Netherlands that they're doing morel mushrooms. So if we could, you know, bring that to our farm and then also just all the plants and, you know, that will bring wildlife and just the energy, just raise the energy so that people could come here and feel good for a little bit. And then, you know, maybe that will inspire them to, you know, chase the path. Are you, are you trying, are you trying to grow the morels like indoors or are you going to have them like more in an outdoor so, setting? So we've been doing them in hoop houses, um, outdoor, but the key is that um, they require like a freezing period of time. So we have some spawn going now uh, and we're mimicking this place called uh, um, Blue's Best and it's in Iowa and they grow these little spawn bags and then you mm -hmm. poke a bunch of holes in them and set them on the soil. So the mycelium starts in the spawn and then it goes underground. And then oh. at a specific time when the soil temperature gets to a specific temperature, you lift off those bags and then that will trigger the sclerotia to form, which is almost like, like hibernating. And then in the springtime, you have to flood them out. So it creates the, the fruiting bodies. And we've gotten it to the point where we had a few pins form, but they just dried up really quickly. Um, so um, it's very specific, like timing and temperature. And now I'm figuring out that maybe like the pH of the soil has something to do with it. So it's mm -hmm. like a, a decade or decades long project. But um, if we could figure that out, um, that would just be awesome because we oh, love wow. morale mushrooms yeah. and they're one of the trickiest ones to grow. I feel like only a few places can do it. So, um, oh, yeah. man. It's yeah, a, that's so cool that you're doing that. Like, that's yeah. always like, I always felt challenged by morels, you know, morels, like no one can do it, except like you said, a couple people figured it out. Yeah. But that's so cool that you're taking that on and trying to get that because that, yeah. that would produce some, you'd have a stream of gourmet mushrooms to sell that people would love to have you around, right? Yeah. That would be so cool. Yep. And we're just trying to add variety and, you know, just do the things that are very difficult i guess i don't know but then also we have our steady supply of um you know oysters shiitake lion's mane chestnut fiapino so we rotate 16 different varieties and um we're just yeah we're waiting to scale because we need more electricity so that's kind of our bottleneck at the moment uh, but um they said september they should be able to come out and hook that up and that way, this winter, um, there will be a lot of construction happening so uh, we can build out, you know, a better infrastructure. Because right now we're just doing tents and um, I would like to just have, you know, framed in rooms so we could clean them better and then get some air conditioning so we can uh, control the temperatures better. Um, so there's always rooms to, for improvement and that just comes with time and you know, the hardest part about having a business is just deciding where do you invest the money that you make. And um, uh, we're just we're just holding on to just growing out our infrastructure right now. Um, and then maybe we'll hire some people out to do the farmers markets. 
because that would free up more time so that week of work like on projects here on the farm like uh, having tours and stuff like that so um, yeah I think it's just a lot of careful planning and just being patient at this point yeah absolutely yeah running a business is not easy yeah and like you said knowing where to put your money and where not to put your money that's those are huge things for people to learn from. And you teach stuff like that to people, right? In your books and stuff yep, like that. Yep, in my book, it's very oriented on like streamlining streamlining processes and um, shortcuts that we use. And my main stress is to not, uh, not go too big too early because I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest pitfall for mushroom farms is like someone will grow a kit and on their countertop and then they're like all right i'm going all in we're gonna put a hundred grand into this warehouse and then it's just way different so it's like just pump the brakes and slowly build on your successes and yeah i've seen it a bunch of times where you know it's really promising someone bought out like this warehouse that was an old target and they tried to do cordyceps and it's just it's way different when you go from zero to like a thousand pounds a week. So just, uh, yeah, pump the, pump the brakes and, you know, just really try to think about what you want. And those people seem to do the best is like, if you can leverage your talents and create like a little niche and then slowly build off of that, that's what I've seen personally, you know, succeed. So that's what we do. Well, cool, cool. Um, so thanks so much for being on with me today, Gary. I mean, I really appreciate it. This was a great talk. Um, yeah, well, I appreciate a lot of great, great information. Yeah. Um, do you do you want to open it up to just a couple questions to see if anyone? Because we've had a few people on the whole time. Yeah. I think. Do you want to see if anyone has any questions for you? Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to ask. Um, you know, I'm just hanging out for a little bit until I got to get dinner started. But I have a, a few minutes that I would like to, you know, answer some questions. And yeah, but I appreciate you having me on. I Like, I love talking mushrooms. So this is my favorite thing <laughs> of the week is just, you know, finding like minded people. And I can't believe all the comments that are coming in. And I hope <laughs> that, you know, the word gets out. And yeah. So, yeah, if you, anyone listening, if you have any questions um that you would like gary to answer um type them in the comments whether you're on facebook or youtube or twitter tiktok left left us they kicked me off (laughs) tiktok's funny i haven't figured out tiktok yet but um (laughs) all right someone says a question mark says can i use my refrigerator are you talking to us mark maybe for cordyceps Oh, so, yeah, someone, someone, Mark had said, Gary, cordyceps. Oh, okay, that was his first yeah. thing. And then he said, the second part was, can I use my refrigerator? Yeah, so cordyceps have to be um, a cooler temperature, like 58 to 62. Um, I think maybe if you can use like, like a wine cooler, um, something that's not like 36 degrees, because it would take, you know, a few months i think for those fruiting bodies to develop so you don't want it like in the 30s but maybe there's a way you could crank up the temperature and then also you have to have lighting but if you can wire in some lighting 
Um, I think a, a refrigerator would be a good alternative. Personally, I grow cordyceps just a few times a year over the winter. So I'll start them in like November and run them through January or February just because I have the extra space since we're shut down. Um, I'll just run cordyceps and reishi and turkey tail during that period so that during the summer, which is my, you know, busy season, I can use my space for the other mushrooms that grow a lot faster. But um, I've, you know, I haven't seen anyone grow them in a, in a refrigerator, but maybe like if you could get one of those ones from like a, a gas station that have the glass doors or something, that would be cool. Um, I don't see why not. Yeah. Interesting. So do you, do you get a lot of demand for cordyceps? Like do people buy it, those at the farmer's market or anything? Uh, it definitely comes in waves. Um, so we have been so, like I said, I do about two or three batches a year. Last winter, we have been using our cordyceps to try and make tinctures or extracts. And I've been working maybe about two and a half years on this project. There's a company in Oregon called Flourish Labs where they'll test um, your products for cordycepin, which is like the actual compound that you extract from cordyceps. And... I've been exclusively using my cordyceps mushrooms for that project besides, you know, a few people that have reached out to me. Um, but I know that there's a, a pretty high demand for like wholesale cordyceps, but you're going to be competing against like China and um, other places that produce them at scale. Yeah, so if yeah. you do do cordyceps, um, try to make it like, like a supplemental part of your business because mm. I don't know if there's enough demand just for, you know, fruiting bodies of cordyceps. Like it's a very small niche market. Um, but we freeze dry ours. So they're very high quality. And I honestly have grown, you know, maybe 10 pounds maximum. They're hard to grow. They're very finicky. Um, and you know, I, I'll use a couple of them in a tea before I go hiking. And mm -hmm. I've tried to make like, you know, extracts, like I said. And the best one that I've made was from freeze dried cordyceps mycelium that was on like bird seed. So it wasn't even like oh, the wow. fruiting bodies. <laughs> so I don't know. So uh, I'm, what what I'm are your like, thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the mycelium? Because Paul Stamets. Yeah. Obviously, his supplements use mycelium, but um, I even read an article by them stating that they found that the mycelium fruiting body in combination with the fruiting body is actually better for you than just the fruiting body. Now, I didn't know if they were just saying that because their supplements have mycelium or if there was any studies backing that up because they didn't cite any. But what's your thoughts on that? So, yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm very skeptical. Um, but I have submitted numerous samples now, privately and publicly. And like I said, the most concentrated cordycepin came from mycelium on birdseed, which was strange because I thought, you know, I produce these really nice fruiting bodies. There has to be way more. And it was just slightly less than the mycelium. And I've only done maybe about a dozen trials. So 
it could just be the batch, like, you know, from batch to batch, I started uh, blending, you know, it into a powder to make it more um, efficient for the extraction. But I'm not an expert in extraction. And I actually met a few um, companies that are doing that exclusively for like mushroom gummies. And um, there's a few new techniques that I think that getting the most out of whatever product if it's a fruiting body or if it's mycelium or if it's both um the extraction process is extremely important because i think you can lose a lot of the the chemicals just by doing it wrong so um my thoughts are that i'm still learning um i know what not to do like um i just was putting chunks in like a everclear bottle and i sent that in and that you know was like a tenth of a percent compared to like freeze drying it and powderizing it and putting it through like a actual extraction machine like that <laughs> is way better results than just letting it sit in some alcohol so um yeah but i was just curious because i'm like well what if i don't have to do all of this work and i could just do it yeah exactly that's that's yeah. what i've been wondering that's been the question since i started this whole journey was What's better, mycelium or fruiting body? Because if we only need mycelium, then what the heck are we trying to get them to fruit for? <laughs> like, yeah, it it's might... way easier. Just take the mycelium, throw it in the oven and bake it and grind it up, right? That's what yep. they do. Yeah, so maybe that's the better way. I don't know, though. I feel like I've had very similar results, but slightly more potency from the mycelium. But that's just me. And I've, like I said, I've only done like 12 or... I think, yeah, 12 samples maybe, so. Yeah, let me know. Take it with a grain of salt. Any, yeah. yeah, let me know if you learn anything more about that because I've been really wanting to know that because sometimes I'll buy fruiting body supplements. Sometimes I buy mycelium supplements, but I don't really know like which one's better. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good thing you're working on. I think that could shed a lot of light. Um, and if you find that out, we'll bring you back on or something and let you share yeah, that. I think that would be a huge... That's a huge thing to to learn about, especially with yeah. supplements. You know, supplements is a big thing. Yep, so. I think just uh, like having the concentration on the label, which you know everyone says this is cordyceps mushrooms, this is reishi mushrooms, but no one's saying five milligrams of cordycepin in this product. Like how uh, you know they just say beta glucans everything says beta glucans yeah <laughs> so it. i think just raising the standard to actually saying the concentration um that is going to force the industry to find the uh, better ways yeah. like like the, so the consumer education like the, if people actually want to see like this product costs this much this product costs this much which one has more cordycepin in it and then you'll be able to make an educated guess yeah, exactly decision. right now it's like you flip a coin you're like well yeah i'll try this one and then <laughs> like, some companies they're they might not be putting out as good of a product so then people are like oh that's just a farce because they didn't get a good product or maybe people's bodies react differently too so like it's all new um it's all relatively new so i think that over time as people become more educated they're gonna mm -hmm. choose products based on transparency yeah. that's what i would say yeah and then the source the source because yep. right now everything's from china 
It's just yep. like, if you want to buy mushrooms, you're getting it from China for the most point, unless they're mycelium based, they're, you're getting fruiting bodies from China. So like you said, once we learn more, yep. we understand what a good supplement is, then we can order from the right source as well. And like you're yep. doing, right? You're growing stuff organically in the United States. And to me, that's a better source. It's something that I can go out and see it myself. I don't got to fly halfway around the world and try to find the company that's growing them in China. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And they've just been doing it for so much longer that like their methods are so much more efficient, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But eventually the people are going to want to know like because that's the difference is like you want to know the actual substance that you're buying instead of like the price and the quantity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Totally yep. agree. Well, thanks uh, again, Gary. And then to yeah. close this out, um, do you mind just sharing like, so if somebody's brand new and they're wanting to learn, they wanting to start growing mushrooms for the farmer's market. Cause you know, that's a broad, Anyone can do that because everyone's yep. got their own local area, right? Because yep. like most people that sell the farmer's markets, they do it locally. Like I just interviewed um, Andrew Reed from Mossy Creek Mushrooms. He was on my podcast last time. Cool. And, and he's in Knoxville, right? And he, he's yep. big in Knoxville. You're big in the area you're in. So if somebody wants to do grow mushrooms for the farmer's markets, and I'll, I'll, Andrew does a lot of the restaurants because – he got yep. into the restaurants too and the farmers markets. But if someone wants to get into that, um, do you have, what do you have any advice for anyone that's just starting out? Yeah, so my advice is always just start small. Um, and then what we did was kind of lucky, but we posted the ad on Craigslist and then someone saw that and they reached out to us. But if I if that never happened, I would have went to the farmers market and then asked the manager what do I have to have in place to be able to grow mushrooms? Because the regulations are different depending on every region. So what, mm-hmm. what might be, you know, not even a factor in like Tennessee could be way different in like New York state where I'm from. The regulations are much more strict. So you might have to have a license to do it um, here in, in Sedalia. It's pretty you know, unregulated, but we do have uh, a permit to grow mushrooms. And then that the county has to come for an inspection every year. But as far as like, you know, other than that, like um, you just have to follow good practices. And if you have someone who's growing tomatoes at the farmer's market, it's probably the similar regulations to growing mushrooms. So I've made really good friends with you know, people that uh, raise bees for a living or people that grow tomatoes. And then we have like a bond because I'm not necessarily competing with them, but we're kind of in the same area. Um, So forming like alliances, I guess, with people like that is very helpful. And then um, just being like open and honest um, when regulators are there because they kind of help you and they want to look out for you. So just make sure that um, you know, you do it slowly and surely and, uh, yeah, just don't go it all in. Don't put all your life savings into like a six month lease at a 10,000 square foot warehouse, because usually that doesn't work. Um, but maybe you'll be the person that, you know, succeeds really quickly at that. 
But I think that it takes time. And like I said, early on, um, I was, you know, putting in like 40 hours a week for mushrooms and like 40 hours a week for like part-time gigs, wherever I could, you know, make some extra money. And then slowly there was like a crossover between like, yeah, I worked at a pizzeria, but then he had a chef come in and then this guy recommended me to grow these mushrooms and then those took off. So it's just, you know, you have to be open to uh, meeting a lot of new people where I know that a lot of people that um, do mushrooms as a hobby tend to be introverted. So get out of your shell. Um, personally, me, like I, I'm mostly just in my lab like four days a week with the headphones in. But then I try to do stuff like this. And every weekend I'm at the farmer's market because um, it's like a way for me to connect to my customers. So that has really been a strength is building relationships and taking feedback. And if you want to get really bold, put videos on YouTube because that will be instant feedback. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I really yeah. look up to uh, Andy Reid at Mossy Creek. Uh, I remember watching some of his videos back in the day and I still try to communicate with him. And um, he's like just such a happy person that it, it's cool to see those people develop. And um, like, yeah, so I, I don't know. I love the mushroom community and I appreciate you having me on. And um, I'm going to have to go listen to that one because I'm curious to what he said. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great one. He shared a lot of great info and he's into genetics too. He's actually moving more into genetics Very than, cool. than where he was going with the restaurants and stuff. That's kind of like the way he's, he's kind of moving that direction now. So it's really yep. interesting. Kind of similar to you and with what you yeah. learned. So genetics seems to be a really big part. You yeah, know, it, of, it, could what make, it could be what makes you stand apart from the rest because there are a lot of mushroom farms popping up now and it's easy for someone just to see your business model and plug and play. But if you have like a unique strain that you're growing, then, you know, that's going to help you stand out. So it's just like any other thing is um, you can, you can personalize your farm from the genetics that you grow, which I encourage people to start from spore because it could you know, manifest a brand new variety that only like in your sm tiny little niche, it will succeed. So even if someone did, you know, try to replicate that, maybe they don't have the touch that you have. Um, so it's a, it's a way to preserve your, almost your unique character in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The same thing he said, because he said he used to grow a certain variety and then all of a sudden, everyone was going that variety. So he let them have it. And he started growing a more complicated variety. That's, you know, he let them have the easy strains. And he moved more into a strain that wasn't so easy to grow. And now he grows that for the farmer's market. So like you yeah. said, you know, there's a lot you can do with genetics. Yep. Have success. Absolutely. Well, cool. I get, thanks, Gary, again. And um, so um, other than that, we're going to close out. I, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And I, I can't wait to hear some of the stuff you're working on. And man, I, I'm going to definitely when you get that farm up and going there and you're open for visitors, I want to 
definitely come out and check that out because that yeah. sounds like it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. You're welcome. Anytime. We've got a, a couch here, if you don't mind uh, sleeping with a, a infant baby in the same house. But you're welcome whenever you want. Or if you're in Denver, just uh, feel free to shoot me a text or an email. Or yeah, whatever. I'll actually I'll be out there for the SciComm event because I'm speaking at oh, the yeah. SciComm event Very in cool. um, the end of September. So um, I might I'll shoot you a message uh, or something when I'm out there. Cool, man. <laughs> for sure. Well, I look I'd forward like to, to that. You know, and um, I appreciate the conversation. It's awesome talking mushrooms. And uh, I'll try to keep up on some of these podcasts. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I got to go listen to that other one now. And um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I appreciate the time. And um, thanks for sharing your background. And I love the hat. So keep that going. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Gary. Have a good one, man. Talk right, to you later. You too. Much love. All right. All right. So if you want to know how curative mushrooms is helping sad people to improve their mental health by growing happy mushrooms at home using an all-in-one simple growing system that doesn't require any complicated instructions or expensive equipment, then head over to curativemushrooms.com.